we all have questions, and we know you have the answers. So, Lord, impress upon our hearts and um, on the hearts of anyone in this room uh, to help answer these questions, because you're the great giver. And so, Lord, I just pray that you send your spirit to be here with us and to give us the answer. In Jesus' name, amen. Just sit down since someone's not here yet. Okay, so this is the, the first question. It says, I am a youth. What do you do when you know that your church is sleeping and you try to do things to wake them up, but no one supports or listens to you? Would it be okay to go to another church that is more active and on fire? Got to think about this one. Don't leave. I mean, stay there. I think uh, God has you there for that purpose. And um, sometimes we feel like it's, uh, it's, it's not going anywhere, but just keep praying. Because uh, the Lord can prepare that soil, right? And when we present the seeds of truth, they can take root. So... Um, and part of that preparation really is befriending those people and showing them that you really care and, and not just leveling a rifle at them and, and blasting truth, right? There's a methodical science to, to the gospel, and uh, we should employ that, I think. You know? And to, to get you back there, I, I just think of the story of Jeremiah. Mm. He was placed in a situation where he had a consistent message from the beginning to the end. And how many people listened to Jeremiah? Pretty much nobody listened to him. He, had, he was in a dead church that didn't move, but he didn't move either. That's right. And um, I think with you staying there, but number one, always listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Number one, if you were here for morning devotion, pray, pray, and pray again. Because God may have you move, but with the majority of time through bi- biblical examples, he would have you stay because you're the light, as my brother said. Um, but also, we got to remember that when we go through trying times, we're not, God not only wants to save, use us to save others, he wants to save us in the process. So with you being there, going through the trial of your faith, it's your purging process. And if you're not there, what won't to you? What's, what's going to cause you to see the wickedness within you? Because if you're in that position, then you're, all of a sudden you're face-to-face with your impatience. You're face-to-face with your short temper. All these things that may have not been revealed had you not been in that church. Praise the Lord. Amen. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so next question. If we are aware that spiritual formation is being promoted at at conference events, what should we do? Warn others? Confront the leaders? Or just be quiet. <laughs> okay, again. <laughs> okay, so the question is if we are aware that spiritual formation is being promoted at a conference event, should what should we do? Warn others, confront the leaders, or just be quiet? I'll, t- I'll take a step. Just be quiet, just be quiet. <laughs> Wrong answer. 
Sorry, brother. I mean, out of all the answers, that was the wrong one. I, I'm trying to be quiet because I, I'm growing in God's grace. And I'm new to, to the Adventist church, right? Three and a half years. And I know with me coming in, I'm very zealous. And I've made a lot of mistakes in the past with my zeal for the Lord. So I'm trying to be, I'm asking God even in my heart now for wisdom with this answer. But I know to be quiet is the wrong answer. Um, oh yeah, you, need to, <laughs> you got set up, bro. Where were the spiritual formations? Are you interested in events? Do we stay quiet? Do something about it? I would like to take a stab at that. I think spiritual formation is a two-edged sword. Um, it has a lot of bad reputation among conservative people, but in actuality. Some of that is excellent. It's learning to meditate. It's learning to get close to God. And so you have to be really, really careful about what kind of spiritual formation is being promoted before you discourage anyone to become more spiritual. That is a really important thing to do. And sometimes people get excited because they see the, the, the name spiritual formation or emerging church or some of these types of things. Um, but pray for wisdom to be able to encourage deep spirituality, the right kind of meditation, walking with the Lord, prayer. These are all part of what people consider to be spiritual formation. And we just don't want to be on the wrong side. So just make sure you know what you are opposing before you oppose anything. Can we ask, what, what, can you guys define what is spiritual formation? A lot of us are asking, what is spiritual That was my question, too. Uh, spiritual formation? Well, I'm not an expert on this, you know. <laughs> but what, what I understand is, uh, like the seminary, I happen to be, my husband teaches at the seminary, and so I hear a few rumblings here and there. And essentially, their motive is to make the pastors more spiritual people, to, to get them into the word in a devotional way, to learn to listen to the Lord's voice to them personally. And that is a lot of their motivation. Sometimes the method gets a little messed up, but they're, they're working on it. And they have changed some of that. And sometimes we give them a hard time without understanding the whole picture. And so that's why I say it's always good to, to ask a few questions. I, I'm... I'm currently a student at uh, PUC, and um, there has been some kind of, um, I guess, a lot of talk about a class up there that they're given spiritual formations. And, um, but the class I took, the name, from my understanding, is derived from um, more of the Ignatius Loyola kind of spiritual exercises sort of teachings. And so you get things like contemplative prayer, different types of things to, to take your imagination, and you have a spirit guide that leads you. It's a brand new way of approaching Christianity through Eastern mysticism. So there's a blend of um, this spiritualism 
within the faith now. People are trying to get creative. They want to feel God and all this kind of stuff. So um, they're not just willing to just go back to the basics. So that's, that's what I've, I'm understanding right now about it. And if, if that's the truth, then we need to steer clear. Because what the devil specializes in is 99% truth and 1% error. If it's got that 1%, we need to just... Bible says, what fellowship hath light with darkness? And so if any of that's going on, and, and if it's 99% good, and, and you know they're preaching the Bible, but it's got that mysticism, and my brother's talking about it, stay clear. It's of the devil. And I would agree with that. I just say, ask questions before you criticize. Amen. Amen. So spiritual formation, that's definitely bad. Uh, We have guidance in that. But just ask questions because I guess uh, there are spiritual, they take the name spiritual formation, but it's not complete mysticism as as it was stated. Uh, So next question, it says, can babies be saved? Or will they die from the sins of their parents if, they, if their parents don't repent? Can babies be saved or will they die from the sins of their parents if their parents don't repent? When it comes to judgment uh, regarding to babies, that's the question, right? Babies. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, um, our answer, we don't know. Okay. However, we do understand from the writings of spirit prophecy is that we do have a promise that she says, if the parents put their children under their grace, these are the similar expressions that she used, then Basically, God will protect them. Okay? But to say children are going to be saved or not saved because parents did not repent or did repent, um, I believe it would be hard for us to judge. I think some of these things we need to leave, just leave it up to God to make his ultimate righteous, just, and fair judgment. Uh, one thing for sure, I'm sure God will do what is the best. Amen. If, so we need to trust him in that. Amen. Yeah. Uh, I would agree as well. Just looking throughout the Bible, um, God, God is just and he's, he's open. Um, he, he invites us to be part, become part of that judgment, even though we don't, we don't have to. But, but it's because he's just he, and he has nothing to hide. So we can definitely trust. Maybe this person is confused with the idea of the Bible says the iniquity of the father will be visited to the next and to the third third and the fourth generation, right? Now, in order to correctly understand that text, that is really talking about the consequences of the father's sin. If the father lived as alcoholic, children might have weak body because of his bad behavior, right? So in that sense, the result can be passed on. But Bible made it very clear, son will not be punished for his father's sin. But those demons that were attacking the father, they're the same ones. They come right down the line. So whatever your father struggled with, chances are you're going to struggle with that too. 
And I think that means that as well. I'm looking at a verse in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. It says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So I don't know if this offers clar uh, clarification to some point, but God is saying that, yeah, there are, um, I guess, hereditary weaknesses that are passed along, but each person is responsible for their own sin. I would just like to not so much answer that question, but just to talk about children in the new earth. I think it's one of the most precious pictures of the resurrection to think of a child being given back to his mother. Amen. And it's just um, wonderful to think of little children with wings flying down from the walls, which are some of the pictures we have there. So we definitely know children will be there. Amen. But it's not to us to demarcate who goes and who doesn't go. I mean, people all the time, when people die, that's the first question. Are they, they going to be saved? And we try to decide ourselves whether a person's going to be saved or not. And that's really not our business. It's, it's God is the judge, and we just pray that and rest our case with, with God at that point. Amen. By the way, I want to go back to the previous question regarding spiritual formation. Uh, let me ask you, how many of you understand, how many of you do not understand what spiritual formation is? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you do understand what spiritual formation is? Okay, what about those people down raising, raising your hands? <laughs> um, now, I do believe that this is going to be a very important topic. Um, just to answer the question, what is spiritual formation? Basically, utilizing or using Eastern meditation for Christian purpose. And they use what they call mantra. It's basically very uh, similar to self-hypnosis, okay? So I believe that our people need to be informed, they need to be warned, they need to be educated, because there's a slight possibility or a big possibility, this may play a major part in Omega apostasy. So I'd like to recommend to SWIC or you know, two other speakers, we've got to study into this and warn our people. Okay? Yeah. Amen. David Fieldler, actually, there's a little pamphlet called Modern Mysticism. If you haven't uh, um, heard of that, yeah, she's got it right there. Um, that, th those pamphlets right there explain a lot um, about that. Elgin. Um, we have some, we don't have that many, but we have some upstairs that are free yeah. on mysticism. So we're upstairs Amen. called there you go. the world and we have a, a number of those. Um, we, we do have other questions. If you guys have uh, questions regarding this, please see our panelists or other people involved as well. So let's keep moving forward. Um, I'm excited about this question. Um, <laughs> I'm still learning about, about the Bible, so I don't fully understand everything yet. But someone told me that Satan was cast down to the earth, and then God created the Garden of Eden on earth afterwards. This makes it hard for me to see God's love if he would create us in the grounds of the enemy. It's like leaving your child in a room with a lion. 
Please help me understand how God's love is still shown in this. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Thank you. Great question. So in, in simpler terms, uh, was Satan cast out to this, down to this earth first and then we were created? Um, is that understanding correct? If Satan was cast down to this earth before the creation, yes, that's you're saying Satan was just spending time swimming? I know that's kind of, kind of funny, but um, as far as I know, yeah, as far as I know, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says he was cast down to the, uh, the earth, right? And says to deceive the world. So he came here to deceive. So if he came here and there's no one, there's no need to deceive. So it doesn't make any sense. Well, I think to the, maybe the heart of the question really is, why did God create us in the midst of a war? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why this war takes place in heaven and then it's like God went off and he did this creation over here. And then he, put, and then he allowed Satan access to that. Why? Um, I, I really believe that we were created to be the jury. Because there was only two sides in heaven, the angels and God. And if God would have destroyed Satan right there forever, it would have been a question in everybody's mind. Oh, do we really have free will? But he told Satan he was going to lay him before kings, right? And know ye not that you'll judge angels, the scriptures say. So uh, I believe that we were created for a purpose. And that purpose is to vindicate the character of God. That's right. Um, so, um, to not look at it as God threw us in a room with a lion, but rather um, created us as part of the healing process to heal from sin, so that this thing could play out and everyone could see and forever it, you know, be put out. Also, really quick, there's always been this illusion that when Satan tempted Eve in the garden, that man was at a disadvantage. Eve at that point was, but really, Adam was the champion of God, made in the image of God. If anybody was at a disadvantage, it was Satan, and that's why he planted, planned so well to get Eve away from him. But Adam and Eve really weren't at a disadvantage because they were created perfect. They had the indwelling of the Spirit. They were walking with God. And so, if, if anything, Satan had the greatest disadvantage in that scenario. And so when, when Adam and Eve fell, it really shocked the universe. It was, it was a shocking thing. Just like when Goliath fell before, before all of Israel and, and the Philistines, that was a shock. They never expected that to happen. So it was the same with Adam. When he fell, the whole universe was stunned because God created him with everything, the ability to not be deceived and forewarned him and everything. Uh, our final question. Um, how do you know that Ellen White is a prophet? How do you know that Ellen White is a prophet? As a newbie, you know, as a newbie in the church, I form our relationship with the God with the Bible first. It, it, it was, and I think we all need to do that. But 
Here's why I love Ellen White. I always read the Bible first and I labor with the Holy Spirit. And after hours, could be days or weeks, when the Holy Spirit reveals something to me and I'm rejoicing, then I read Ellen White. And she confirms exactly what the Holy Spirit never fails. Plus, you know, you listen to the message tonight, what she wrote hundreds of years ago is actually being fulfilled right now. For me, my personal experience was I got out of rehab. I said, Lord, you're going to have to show me about the Sabbath, Ellen White, everything. Because God showed me that he existed. So I figured if he can talk to everybody, uh, Ellen White, Isaiah, he could talk to me. So I said, Lord, show me Ellen White. And I doubted her big time. But I, I prayed and I read her writings with a very skeptical point of view. Very skeptical. But, and I was looking for stuff. But when I read, I found actually the opposite, that my heart was being like enriched and lifted, and lifted up. This is just my experience from what I read from Ellen White. And I agree with what my brother said at first was my approach as well. But my personal experience is, is, is just that. The more I started to read and ask God about her and line it with scripture, the more I felt my own personal conviction. So I think it's very important that you have your own personal conviction from the Holy Spirit. So uh, both of the Patel brothers, it's, you, you would suggest having a personal experience Amen. with the writings of Ellen White. This, there are many ways to prove that Ellen White is a true prophet, but this is one of the ways, okay? In the Bible, uh, there are many time prophecies, right? Especially referring to God's people, yes? I believe the first one, 120, Noah's flood, okay? And then 400 years in the land of Egypt, right? And then uh, 70 years of Babylonian captivity, and 490 years for the coming of the Messiah, right? And then 2,300 days, right? And there are more, but here are the, some major ones. Now, when you study the Bible, you always look for pattern, or meaning things, are re- things that repeat itself, okay? Check this out. Just about almost every time prophecies that especially dealing with God's people, God always provided a prophet, in the beginning of time prophecy and at the end of time prophecy. Amen. For example, 120, Noah's flood, who was a prophet in the beginning? Noah. Who was a prophet at the end? Noah. 400 years in the land of Egypt, who was the prophet in the beginning? Abraham. Okay? He was the one that gave the message. But who was there at the end to deliver the people out of the land of Egypt? It was Moses. So you had prophet in the beginning, prophet at the end. And then 70 years of Babylonian captivity, it was Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And who was at the end? Well, yeah, you can say Daniel, but it was uh, more... He may not be considered as prophet, but it was more like Nehemiah. You understand? Ezra, Ezra right? And then you have uh, 490 years of prophecy, right? For the coming of the Messiah. Who was the prophet that gave the message? Daniel, in the beginning. Who was at the end to proclaim that it's fulfillment? John the Baptist. So check it out. You, we always have prophet in the beginning, prophet at the end for these major time prophecies, right? Mm-hmm. And the biggest one, the, the biggest one, the most important one is 2,300 days. If God provided a prophet in the beginning at the end of every prophecy, he should also do the same. Amen. Right? Amen. So who was a prophet in the beginning of 2,300 days? Daniel. 
So tell me, who was the prophet when 2,300 days were fulfilled around 1844? So you do all the tests of the prophet to see which one fulfills. It comes out to be Ellen G. White. Amen. Amen. Uh, and just, I, I guess, a la- uh, final question for this one. Um, if I never read, in, uh, read a book on Ellen White, which would be a, a good one to start off with? Great controversy. Hey. <laughs> My personal favorite is Desire of Ages. So basically just grab a book and read. Get the whole set. Get the whole set. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you for all of you guys who, uh, who put in questions. Uh, our panelists can uh, come down. Uh, thank you so, so much for, for these questions. Um, and I, I pray that each of you guys were uh, today, this evening. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.